Welcome back to That Damn Sports Podcast. Um, I'm with my co-host, Michael Angelo. Uh, we had some scheduling issues that came up last minute. Um, so it's just me and Mikey rocking it out today. Um, but we have a special guest um, interview about who we're about to bring on um, with former starting Gamecock quarterback, uh, Perry Orth. Uh, Perry Orth, he was a walk-on for the Gamecocks in 2013. Eventually worked his way up. He was a starting quarterback. Um, under Spurrier in, in, in 2015, and he played under Will Muschamp as well. I mean, he was on arguably the best South Carolina Gamecock team of all time in 2013. Um, so this is be – he's going to give us a pretty in-depth insight as to what um, the day-to-day life was at USC at the time and, and how the culture shifted and the change from Spurrier to Muschamp. And there's just so much knowledge he can he can enlighten us on and that he was there to experience firsthand. Um, so – we're excited to get Perry Orth, former Gamecock quarterback, onto the podcast. Uh, let's see if we can get him in here real quick. What's up, man? Hey, guys. Um, first of all, dude, I appreciate you getting on. Like, uh, we yeah, we've hit up a lot of people, and uh, I mean, we've definitely got some good we've got some good feedback. But I think we're from South Carolina. Mikey actually goes to USC. I have Williams Bryce tattooed on my leg. Uh, it, we're, <laughs> it's kind of a big deal to us. Um, but, uh, no, don't, yeah, don't worry about it. No, I'm, I'm happy to, happy to come on, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, another thing, dude, I w- I've always wanted to take this opportunity. Okay. And I don't know about Mikey. I'm, like I said, very big, big Gamecock fan. And I like thanking the guys that were like kind of in that transition area. And I've always wanted to, like people like you, Pharaoh Cooper, Sky Moore, like those guys that like really, really even, when we, even when we were struggling, you guys gave us like something and you guys, and it was, it was as a Gamecock fan. Like it really did mean a lot. Like I know some of the people that I, I love the most are guys like the, during that period when we went from, you know, you were on the part of that 2013 team and then we had that transition in 2015, 2016. And yeah, guys like you guys are ones that are very memorable. I know to me and a lot of the Gamecock fans I talked to. Yeah. I appreciate you saying that, man. No, it was, it was a weird time. Um, you know, going from, and, and to be honest, we all kind of, saw the writing on the wall with uh with how things were changing you know because you went from where we had a lot of a ton of talent like experienced talent to in 2014 we had the same thing offensively but defensively we had a lot of new faces and I just don't think that we had the team like leadership Mm -hmm. that you need when you don't have a team full of rock star talent like Farrow Cooper I mean was unbelievable but you know if he was playing at LSU would he have been Farrow Cooper like I don't know would he have been the guy there I mean he could have been obviously he's still in the NFL but you get what I'm saying like right, right yeah yeah we uh we we didn't have we and it was one it's still to this day one of my biggest regrets as an athlete was not being more of a vocal guy and I, I, at the time, I just didn't feel like it was my place just because I was coming up, like having been a walk-on and getting a scholarship and then playing. I never felt like it was my place to be vocal until my last year. And in the last year, my class, my senior class had been, you know, from the guys that came in with me were on the team in 2012. I didn't get there till 13, but we're part of two really good teams a decent team, a bad team, then a decent team, right? So we kind of saw the whole evolution of a football program. Um, 
yeah, it was weird for sure. Um, I definitely thought that the Muschamp era was going to go much differently than it did. Yeah. But I think I think you know you and all I think I think we all did. We all had a. I, re- I remember when he he got hired. We all had high hopes, and then uh, it yeah. turned out the way we thought. Yeah, that was uh, we were very optimistic at the time, and it started out kind of promising to be honest. And uh, yeah, it did. It went down pretty quickly, but I think right now we're in a great spot. Um, but we'll get to that in later. Since we got you on, let's start. We're gonna start from, from at least your, your first year at USC. You know, you you're okay. a walk on. Okay. Yeah. So to be a walk on at a big D one school, like, what is your mindset? Like, were you just happy? I know I, I talked to some guys who've walked on to big schools, and they were just happy to be there. Were you someone that you were just happy to be there, or was your mindset every day was like you knew that your moment, like you had in 2015, was gonna come? You know, my recruitment was, you know there's so many kids that I feel like now that publicize being a preferred walk on, right. They're like thankful to receive an offer as a PWO. Right. Well, 10 years ago, you didn't have that on Twitter. I mean, Twitter was just barely coming up. Um, you know, so I was getting recruited by South Carolina, um, throughout high school. Um, and, uh, they ended up offering and Brendan Nosevich committed. Um, he was my class. And still to this day, we are best friends. I mean, he was in my wedding. I was in his. Like, we just – we had a great relationship. But they took him. Um, and then I never found a school that I just felt at home at. And I remember when I left camp um, as a senior, or I guess going into my senior year, I told myself, like, if all else fails, like, I'll come back here and just ask if I can take a PWO spot. And when I did, um, you know, we had – continued conversation with um with coach Spurrier and then my senior year he he just basically came and said look at this crazy guy <laughs> get out of here buddy come on sorry guys he bust the do- door open no, attack me um we just got a brand new corgi puppy and he's <laughs> he's hell on four wheels so um no but i uh yeah he um, Coach Spurrier was like, yeah, we'll give you an opportunity to come, at, you know, and I want you to come play quarterback for me, and I think that you got some ability to play. And, you know, if you show that you're capable of playing, like, we'll give you a scholarship. And, you know, I grew up in Jacksonville. My dad grew up loving Spurrier, and, you know, he was going to give you a chance, whether it was in practice or a game. Like, you were going to get an opportunity to play. So just kind of all the stars aligned. So when I got to Carolina, I was like, you know, like – I'm just going to do the best that I can and see what happens. Right. Well, um, during the first, you know, month and a half I was on campus, you know, all we were doing is working out. I got there in January of 2013 and I remember throwing like playing catch with the other quarterbacks and throwing routes with them and being like, wait a second, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I am not far off nor I just didn't feel like I was far off as far as like, now, we weren't playing a game, but I'm talking about, like, throwing routes on air. I was like, man, I'm as good, if not better, than the kids that are my age right now. And unless yeah. they bring in some elite, crazy five-star, which has never happened at Carolina, like, I'm going to have a shot. Right. And I just worked myself into that role. You know, I just decided that, like, I was here. Don't get me wrong. I had a ton of fun. And, like, you know, we went out. You know, we partied. We did all the, all the fun stuff that everybody does. But my mission was to play. I didn't come here 
to, to sit the bench. I came here to play. And I just carried that mindset through my career here. And, um, you know, I, I paid off. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's kind of the mindset I had once I got, once I got to campus. So you said you came in January of 2013. Were you, yep. I, I'm trying to, I don't know why I'm like, my brain scrambled. So were you a part, was your first year on the team, was that the year that Dylan Thompson was the guy or was it Connor Shaw's final season? Shaw's final season. Okay. Okay. Perfect. So you were part of that 2013 team, which, in my opinion, yep. I think is the best. Fo- I one. I think the 2012 team had the best route, the easiest route. Or if they wouldn't have been scheduling purposes, I think that team would have won a national championship. I still, to this day, believe that based on how we beat Georgia and how Georgia barely lost Alabama. But I think getting scheduled to play Georgia, LSU, and Florida in back-to-back-to-back weeks is a little unfair. I think that team gets a different schedule. But anyway, that's not the point. Um, 2013, I think, was the most talented team. Um, what was so special about that team from just being a, from a player's perspective? I know it was your first year, but, like, what, what, did, what do you think was the reason that team was so successful? Um, confidence, man. I mean, it was like when we needed to play on defense, Jadavian made a play. When we needed to play on offense, Connor just found a way to get a first down, or Mike Davis just found a way to break that arm tackle, or Bruce Ellington just found a way to make that catch, right? Yeah. Um, we just there was just so much confidence at what we were doing. You know, we had just won back to back eleven and two years and we're coming back for year three. And, you know, we lose to Georgia week, you know, early in the season and our schedule wasn't very difficult that year. You know, you, you play your tough teams. Florida was down, Tennessee was down, even though we lost to them. You know, Georgia was good. Uh, we played Mississippi State from the West. Um, golly, who was our other West team? Arkansas. So our West schedule was down. Right. Um, and we just, you know, we couldn't find a way to beat Tennessee that year, unfortunately, oh, yeah. you know, and they were down. They weren't, they weren't very good. And, um, you know, what's his name? It was, I think it was like Marquez North or Marquise yep. North or something like that. Had that ball where he caught it right on his helmet. Um, I, was in yeah. I left the place crying. I remember that. Vividly. Yeah. I mean, it was uh, <laughs> that play right there cost us. A, a, an SEC East title, you know, which is crazy how that happens. But, um, you know, we just found – the guys found a way to win, and it was cool for us to see. But um, you could tell, even on that team, like, there were games, like, for instance, the Clemson game, like, it was back and forth the whole game with them, that that game. But Clemson had six turnovers, and we had zero. And it was kind of like, you know, if they don't, let some of those stupid plays happen. Like it's a completely different ball game. Not saying they would have won, but I'm just, you could kind of tell like some of the tides were starting to change and you could, you could kind of see it, but you didn't want to admit it. Right. Um, but, but I mean, you, you look at guys like Connor Shaw, I mean, dude, just guy just found a way, man. It's unbelievable. He was just a special, special college quarterback for sure. Yeah, and Mikey, I think you you were yeah. actually speaking about yeah, speaking of Connor Shaw. I mean, you were talking about all these all these studs you got on on the offense. You know, like Mike Davis, Bruce Ellington, obviously J. Devon Clowney. How was playing with Connor Shaw? I mean, I I, I feel like he had to be a, a huge leader there to play with all those all those guys on that team. Yeah, so Connor was Connor was super quiet. Um, you know, my relationship with Connor now, knowing Connor, he's more vocal than he was back then. He was super, um, super quiet, just did all the right things, worked really hard. But like whenever we were on the field, he just played hard. 
and it was just somebody that you gravitated towards. Um, whereas Dylan Thompson was like that too, but Dylan was more vocal. Dylan was more like, get the guys together. Like, Hey, I'm gonna break it down. Like, Hey, rally on Dylan. Um, and it's a shame, you know, Dylan, if Dylan had any defense his senior year, I mean, he would have gone down as one of the greatest QBs that we ever had easily. I mean, he was, he still is in my opinion. And I'll, and I'll take that and I'll, I'll fight that argument and fight that battle every day of the week. And, you know, he had a couple games where he had too many turnovers, but I mean, led the SEC in passing. Um, that, that's not a small task. And, um, but yeah, he, the, the Connor was just, uh, you know, the true definition of lead by example that, that like you could not find a better for South Carolina football. Like if you have a quote lead by example, there should be a picture of Connor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he means it. He that, that's no easy thing to do right there. Yeah. He means, it yeah. uh, him, guys like him, Lattimore. I mean, they, because, I mean, that was our first real taste of success. So, yeah, those guys are very special. Yeah. With you. Yeah, that's right. And, and to be honest, we're really not – we're not crazy far off. I think where we're at now, and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about it in a little bit, but we are – we're really, really close. We're a few really special players away from being, like, a real yeah. difference maker in the SEC. We really are. You know, they got – all the pieces are in place. And listen, like, one of these new guys – uh, Rattler could be that guy, right? I don't know. Yeah. He, he might be that guy. The tight end might be the guy, you know, moving Jaheim Bell around might be the guy that is, you know, I, I still think we need one more true difference maker at receiver that will take pressure yeah. off of Josh Van and, and I guess now Stogner and Jaheim Bell is an X factor, whether it, it's running the football this year or, or whatever. Um, you know, we're, we're a difference maker on offense away from being like, you know, pretty daggone special. Yeah, no, I agree. No, I, I agree. Uh, you know, I, it, it, the, the feelings that I have now are very, they seem very familiar to how I felt years ago. Now, it, yeah. I, a while ago, I was like in middle school, but I just remember that feeling. It was like, I, for a while there, I was never really optimistic. I was just like, you know, let's get into a bowl game. And now for the first time in a while, I'm sitting there thinking, Probably since that 2014 season, I'm sitting there thinking, you know, SEC title game at least. I mean, make the appearance or at least come second in the East. I, I don't know. I mean, it's – Yeah. The, the optimism is there, though, whether it's realistic or not. The optimism is there. But um, Yeah, that's right. Now, you said – you were talking about Dylan Thompson. There's one game specifically, and I just – I don't want to bring it up for personal reasons because it's probably my favorite game I've ever been in attendance to. And it was 2014 Georgia. You know, we just lose to A&M early in the year. You know, this was like preseason. We were, I mean, we're talking SEC championship hopefuls. Um, and we get kind of embarrassed on, on Thursday night against A&M. And, you know, Georgia yeah. comes around and they're six in the country. And I just remember that game vividly, you know. It's raining. The game got delayed. It's CBS game. Now, I was, in, I, was in, I was there in the stadium. And it's like the rain added to the effect. And Dylan Thompson getting that fourth and in inches. You know, what was – at least leading up to, to that game after losing a and like what, what was the team's mindset and how did that feel to, to, you know, kind of prove everybody wrong even after the bad performance to start the season? Yeah. Well, you know, you lose to A&M the way we did and we were all, everybody on our sideline was in complete shock because for years, every, you know, I, from the time they started recruiting me to the years I was there, the year I was there, we always were good on defense. And then for us to roll out their game one and be completely embarrassed on defense, we were all like, what? 
the hell just happened, right? Yeah. Then I'm pretty sure we played East Carolina. Is that right? Do you guys remember yeah. who we played after that? I think it was. It was one of those, you know, games that we sh- we definitely should have won. Um, I, I yeah, was, and I we played a game in between. Yeah. Um. Well, anyway, we you know we come to the Georgia week and we felt good about it. We knew that if we could just find a way to slow them down on defense. Um, offensively, we had a good plan. Coach Spurrier had just an unbelievable game plan. Dylan just ripped their cover two to nothing. Um, you know, he had it. He, 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 I just remember him having a really good feel going into the game. Uh, we had a really good plan. Um, he got rid of the ball. But, you know, we were very talented on offense. You know, we had Bust Anderson at tight end, Mike Davis at running back, Nick Jones at receiver, Demir Bird. Um, Shaq Rowland, um, an ultra talented dude, Pharaoh, like we had dudes out there that were going out and, and playing receiver. And then we had an experienced offensive line and, uh, it was definitely one of the best atmospheres I had been in, whether it was home or away, it didn't matter. That was an incredible, incredible day, incredible game. I know I, I have numerous friends that say that was the, their most favorite game as a Gamecock. You know, I know a lot of people talk about the Alabama game and, um, the 2012 Georgia game, but a lot of people talk about that. Just something about that day just made it really special. Yeah, it was a special day. I remember I'm, I, I it was with my dad, and it was just raining, and I know it was just something about, you know, losing A&M and having everybody come at us. I mean, like you said, we kind of had – everyone after 2013, you know, I think a lot of other people noticed, and we just didn't want to admit it. And then as soon as we lost A&M, it was like everybody just took shots at us and said we were this and that, and then to beat Georgia the way we did. And uh, fourth and inches by Dylan Thompson at QBC. I mean, I don't know. It was just something about it that was special. Now, yeah, no doubt. You mentioned Spurrier. Mikey, you said you also want to ask something about the Spurrier and Muschamp comparison. Yeah, so you were talking about how Spurrier had a, had a good game plan going into that game. And obviously we lose Spurrier, like, in the middle of the season a couple years later. What was the, what was the biggest difference between Spurrier's coaching style and Muschamp's coaching style? Because it seemed like there was – it was a big cultural change once he got there. Yeah, Coach Muschamp was super blue-collar. Like, everything was regimented within the program. Like, you wore this to workouts. Like, your study hall was at this time. Like, you had your protein shake. Meat. Like, everything was, like, completely scheduled out so you didn't have to think about literally anything. You just did. Like, almost robotic. Like, Spurrier's was a bit more – you know, you know, obviously you get to workouts on time, you do what you got to do, but like, there wasn't so much strict, like minor things, um, like a, a tire to a workout or I don't know, man, it was just a different feel, especially it was really more so the way we practiced. Um, it was really, really physical. Our practices with coach Muschamp, our, they were physical, man. They, I mean, Tuesdays they were popping, like hitting. And Coach Spurrier during the season, it was, um, it was way, it was more like the NFL where, you know, you're more doing walkthroughs than anything. Mm-hmm. You know, you're kind of doing a lot of scout team, a lot of yeah. preparation for the game where with Coach Muschamp, it was ultra physical. It was just like, you know, we might not be good, but like the other team we play is going to take a beating. And it was yeah. we played that way. I mean, when we were healthy with Coach Muschamp, like uh, I remember talking to our strength coach at the time, 
I was done. It was a, it was the year we played Alabama. Um, and Cochran, the old Alabama strength coach, called our guy, um, Jeff Dillman, like two days later after the game. They were like, this is, that was the most physical game, physically demanding game that we had played in like two or three years. Right. Really? Like where their guys were beat up after we played the game. Wow. That, it was, that's, it, that's crazy to hear. I mean, we would yeah, have never no, got that it, perspective like yeah, you, you can't tell because you're watching the game and, you know, as fans, you're so just fixated on the score. But, like, yeah. just the way, like, tackles happen, just the way, mm-hmm. like, you don't know, like, the, 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 the trash talk that happens during the course of the game. You don't know, like, you know, we, we just played physical and it was a physical brand of football. And we just, you know, between injuries and offense really never getting off the ground and, we just, you know, that, that was kind of the, the story of the Muschamp era, you know, unfortunately. And I hate it for Coach Muschamp because he's a great guy and just unfortunately didn't work out. Now, yeah, this is a question. It's a little off script, but I just thought about it. You know, you said, hey, for Muschamp, great guy. I thought I, I agree on that. Um, I think the offense is what really ended up burying, burying his, his time at USC. Now, another guy yeah. that was spent a lot of time with Mushin Nerd's career, do you think Jake Bentley got a little bit too much heat? Because I do personally. I think Jake Bentley got way too much heat. I mean, I think you look back to – I'm don't. i trying to recall what year it was. It was when, it, We played in Death Valley, and him and Debo just destro- shredded that defense. You know. Yeah, he went for like 500 yards. Yeah, I, I think yeah. Jake got a little too much heat from the fan base, and I, w- I know for a time period there, I would have rather have Jake Bentley than who he had under center. Oh, my God. Yeah. Not even close. I mean, Jake Jake had showed so much promise so early. Like, when he came in after they decided to turn – to sit me down and play Jake the rest of the year, he came out and played really, really good football. Like, he didn't turn the ball over. He made plays with his legs. He had a really good ability to just get out of different plays. He's a big, strong kid. He doesn't get enough – credit for how athletic he is he wasn't very fast but he was athletic um and I think they just put too much on him too early and then you know when you have a really good freshman year you know nobody no I'm convinced there's no fan base that gets higher than high and lower than low than our South Carolina fan base not it it might not even be close like these these folks here man when we're good they like they're 10 feet tall and bulletproof. And we're, when, they're, when we're not winning, we suck. The world's going to end. We may as well just cancel the football program. Like, it's insane, man. And you look at, you know, we weren't winning. Defense was – we had, like, 14,000 injuries on defense. Jake was running for his life. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you lose games, you blame the QB. It's just the easiest thing to do. Yep. And the fans Austin. just, I tell you, they yeah. wore him out. Like, if you think back, like, yeah, 2019, he hurts his foot out for the year. Well, if the fans didn't just completely annihilate him, he would have come back. And he could have come yeah. back and played in 2020 and last year. That's, like, that's what I was going to say. I think it was Austin, correct me if I'm wrong, it was the NC State game, which I think that was his last game. and. If I remember correctly, he threw a pick, and we were we all we had to do was score a touchdown. There was probably two minutes left, and he threw an interception. And I just remember the fan base 
going crazy on Twitter. Just and yeah, ripping, just they just hung him, ripping him apart. And I th- and I think yeah. and I think that was it for him. It was UNC, I think, and not NC State. I'm, but I could be mistaken, but I, I don't know. Those confuse me every time. But yeah, to your point, he definitely would have came back. You could just tell by the way Jake Bentley talked about the program, the way he talked about everything. He loved he loved Columbia. I mean, he was he loved it there, and he loved the program. And it's just I thought, you know, we look back to some of the guys we had under center after him. I'm like, I remember talking to some people. I'm like, you know, we could have we could have maybe been a little better if we had Jake Bentley under center. Well, I'll tell you this, and this is when one thing I wanted to see um, this year, which I was happy to see, that they didn't just throw another young kid out there on the field, right? Luke was young, but like yeah. Luke had played a little bit. The biggest complaint I had and have had over the South Carolina football program since I got done was rushing these young QBs out onto the field. like. Yeah, Brandon McElwain would have been a good quarterback. No question about it. Yeah. He had all the ability in the world to be good, but he was not ready to play, and he was rushed out onto the field for no reason. You know, some people might say, well, you know, you, you were playing, so we needed to get him out there, right? But, like, that didn't, that didn't need to happen. I'm just telling you, it, did, yeah. it didn't need to happen. And then you look at, you know, we didn't recruit the position that well. Um, so, you know, Jake gets hurt, and now Ryan – a true freshman's our backup. Well, then Ryan is not ready to play. Ryan is going to be the starter this year at Northwestern. You know, yeah. he's going to be a good quarterback for him. He played well down the back half of the year for them. Um, he wasn't ready to play in 2019. He was 18 years old. Um, you know, and then, you know, the Colin Hill kid came in last year, which, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if he was an SEC QB. I, I don't know. I but like, yeah, I think he's too much of a statue to be to be honest. Back but but you know, and then we we go out and we throw Luke Doty out there, and and then people are, you know, oh Luke's not that good, and then you know it just it's this rat race, this wheel that just keeps on turning when you keep throwing young kids out there instead of listen, like this is going to be our guy. We're going to play an older. That's why it was so good to see Zeb play as much as he did. Zeb played well at times, you know, he wasn't. First team All American, but he did what was needed of him. I mean, without his heroic yeah. performance against Vanderbilt, like we don't make a bowl. We and lost. Yeah. I mean, where's where is the 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 juice around our program if the last time we rolled out on the field was that ass whooping that Clemson gave us? Oh yeah. Like if that would have been our last game, we like think about where the 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 aura of the program would be. It would be in the dumpster. A hundred percent. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. Right. So, so Zeb, Zeb did really, you know, did great. And it was good to see Jason Brown play too and get older guys. And now, now, now when you look at the room, you look at, you got Rattler who's experienced, Doty who's experienced, Colton Gothier, who is a, now a red shirt freshman. So he's not another true freshman thrown out there, but he's your third team guy. Right. Right. Yeah. So say Rattler lights the world on fire and goes to the NFL after this year. Well, now you've got Luke, you've got Colton, you've got, you know, a couple of these other true freshmen that are coming in. You can redshirt them now. Now you can develop depth into your QB room. Cause I'll tell you right now, if I would have had to play my true freshman year, it would have been a disaster. Like no question about it. Like, <laughs> I don't know how the kids even do it, to be honest. 
And, you know, I didn't play until I was on, I was, it was my fourth year in college before I had even stepped onto the field. Right. So, um, you know, there's, there's a growth and maturity curve that happens with quarterbacks that they just have to, now you're going to have your once in a blue moon type of guys like your, um, you know, your Deshaun Watsons and Trevor Lawrence, but those cats don't come along every day. Right. right? So yeah. there's a, there's a maturity cycle that has to happen with, you know, college QBs, in my opinion, you know, that's why, in my opinion, the couple of the best QB developers in the game, they run with older guys, Jimbo Fisher, Lincoln Riley, like they're, they're going with older dudes, right? Unless you have a Caleb Williams, but those kids don't come every year, right? You look at Baker and Colin Murray and Jalen Hurts, and those are all older dudes, transfer guys, right? Yeah, not the Joe Burrow. I mean, Joe Burrow didn't get a shot till, you know, his Joe, two years at LSU. I mean, he was Joe a Burrow, at Ohio like, State for three years. Never been a true freshman Heisman Trophy winner before. I agree. I mean, yeah. yeah. Or maybe, maybe, maybe true freshman quarterback. I, I don't quote me on the true freshman fact, but um, you know, <laughs> even Johnny Manziel, Jameis Winston, those guys—they were redshirt freshmen. They at least had a year to be there, be in the program, and then play. Right. Develop I mean, yeah, and then, and yeah. You add the fact that you're in the SEC as well. I mean, that's definitely no easy feat to be 18 years old going against any any SEC defense. I don't care who it is. Honestly. Yeah, none. No. Well, there's a story my dad had mentioned, um, and I, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but long story short, are you the main reason Hayden Hurst ended up at USC? Uh, I don't know if I'll go and take the full main reason, but so Hayden and I, we were buddies in high school. We've known each other since we were 10 years old. Um, Hayden reached out to me in the spring of 2015 and he just texted me and was like, Hey man, um, I think he said something like, what's it like playing college football? And I was like, I mean, it's no different than, you know, what you're doing in you know the the minor leagues right you travel you work you, you play the only difference is you get you know you're gonna have to take classes and he was like no that's fine not a big deal and he's like you know i'm thinking about dropping baseball and and walking on somewhere to play football you know we had just lost busta anderson um we had Jarrell adams coming back and then jacob august was an up-and-coming tight end but he was still young and i was like no we need a tight end he's like you should you should come here. And I was like, well, let me, um, let me talk with Steve Spurrier Jr. about it. And I'll send you his number and give me, I think we were literally in meetings in spring practice. And I talked to coach Steve Jr. And told him about Hayden was like, Hey, there's a guy. Um, he was a stud in high school. He's wanting to get done or he's, he's wanting to be done playing baseball and wants to come to college. Um, and Hayden told me he'd been really busting it in the weight room. He said he was up to like 240 and ran like a four, six, something 40. And yeah, next thing you know, um, yeah, just a freak. And yeah, next thing you know, he texted me like a month later and was like, Hey, like I got into South Carolina, they got me on and you know, I'll be enrolling in late May. And I was like, you know, at the time I was thinking like, sweet, like I got another buddy on campus, you know? and you know, he, uh, his first year in 2015, he was kind of getting his wits about him, getting back. He hadn't played football in four years. 
And, you know, you go from not playing football to being thrown into the SEC. There's, there's a learning curve, obviously, that comes with that. Yeah, then sure. um, yeah, the winner of 20, I guess the winner of 2016 going into the 2016 season, he was just like, I want to play in the NFL. All right, man. Well, he blew up. I mean, he got to like 255, like seven and a half percent body fat, was running in the mid four sixes, catching literally everything. And we were like, oh my God, this guy's a freak. <laughs> and uh, yeah, then 2016, he kind of caught his wind. And then 17, obviously, he blew up and went to the combine and killed it. And first round pick, and the rest is kind of history. Yeah, man. Yeah, my dad mentioned that story to me, and I thought that was really unique because Hayden Hurst is now – he's one of those guys. He maybe wasn't around during our most successful years, but he's a, he's a household name to all Gamecock fans. I know everybody loves Hayden. Oh, my God, yeah. I mean, he's – you know, he just got picked up by the Bengals the other day, which is huge for him because, I mean, they got rid of their other tight end, so he'll be the guy there in Cincinnati. Yeah. yeah. So, you got Joe Burrow dishing him the rock and Zach Taylor calling plays. Like, he's going to blow up in Cincinnati this year. I'm excited to see him. This, this is his time right here now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is definitely his time. Um, real quickly, because we're running a little, little low on time, and we don't want to take up too much of yours, so we appreciate you getting Yeah. Yeah. Um, I got one more question. I think Mikey's got one more. Real quickly, I remember a vivid memory of you in 2015 breaking a scramble for 66 yards and a touchdown against Texas A&M. What was going through your head as you were going? Because I don't think I don't think anybody, even yourself, expected that to end up a touchdown. So, I mean, it was just a quarterback draw on third and long, and it was a great call because now knowing and really truly understanding the game, like whenever you get man-to-man defense, a great call is a quarterback draw, right? Because you get a hat on a hat, so now you're playing like eleven on eleven football. At the snap of the ball. The safety just ran to the other side, the other hash, the other side of the field. I don't know why. Um, and Miles Garrett was playing defensive end, and he took a hard slant in. When he went, when he went in, I just went out, and everybody got a hat on a hat. So it technically was me on the safety. Well, the safety was on the other hash. And when I got around, I was so confused that nobody was out there in front of me. So I was just like, shit, it's time to run, you know? <laughs> and then after that, I was like, why the hell is no one catching me? Because I, I have unfortunately watched the video way too many times than I, I should have. I feel like every year when it's 66 days to kickoff, somebody tags me in that run. And yeah, the first like 30 yards, I'm like, damn, I'm kind of rolling. And then like the last 30, I was like, Oh shit, like I'm really kind of moving in slow motion a little bit. <laughs> and I really was. I, I remember I think they I didn't actually score on that play. They called a timeout after and I remember walking over to the sideline and GA Mangus was our QB coach who took over as offensive coordinator, was literally hands on his knees laughing. Like in the middle of a game. I was like, What the hell is so funny, man? And he was like, I just I'm shocked, to be honest. And uh no, it was a it was a cool memory. It was funny because um, I didn't run that much in high school. You know, we were like, we ran the football and did a lot of play action and I stayed a lot of my time in the pocket. And uh, my dad always would tell me, he's like, man, you can run. I know you can, like, you're not crazy fast, but you're quick and you can at least, you know, yeah. go get first downs. Right. Well, yeah, it was just a funny play the way it all kind of shook out. You know, it's definitely one of those that 
um, you don't forget because it was so odd, right? Like, like I don't, I don't think, I think that may have been, and I, you'll need to fact check me on this, but it was like one of the longest recorded rushes of a Gamecock quarterback, maybe ever. It might be the longest rush. Wow. A South Carolina quarterback. I think it was. Because Connor had a really long touchdown run, but it got called back. Oh. And then that was when I was like, holy cow, like you're telling me that I have a longer rush than Connor Shaw did. <laughs> I was like, there you go. There's my claim to fame right there. Well, well, we got about three minutes. Uh, Mike, you want to try to squeeze in your question real quick? Cause yeah, I'll, I'll, it doesn't take long. I mean, kind of, kind of just building off of what you're talking about. I mean, I go to USC, and I'm pretty sure all the other USC uh, fans and students would love to hear it. Just your your favorite overall time here at USC, whether that's playing football or maybe going out with your buddies or a funny story if you got one. Man, I tell you, I can't imagine going to school anywhere else. I'll tell you that. It was an awesome time. I still live here in Columbia, um, which is crazy to think about. Um, it, it was Everything was so fun. I mean, I met my best friends here. We still are like brothers to this day. I didn't meet my wife. I met her here, but not while I was in school. She actually played, played beach volleyball at, at Carolina. Um, so we're, we're a Gamecock family through and through. And my little brand-new Corgi, I guess, will be a Gamecock too. Um, but great memory. I mean, golly, beating Clemson at home. Um, my first career touchdown pass, um, senior night, graduation. Um, you know, those random Saturdays of waking up, working out, and then, you know, meeting your buddies and going to a basketball game at Colonial Life, like stuff like that you'll never forget. Um, and it really is about the relationships. I mean, the the games and winning is obviously a huge part and it's super important. But, you know, you know, as a player, it's, you know, it's now cool. I don't really have that a, a relationship with him, you know, anymore. I don't talk to him nearly as much as I did when I got done. But getting to say you played for Coach Spurrier, like he's a legendary coach and just honored to be able to play for him and use all the, the knowledge that he gave me to now coach and train QBs. Um, you know, there, there isn't one special memory per se it was kind of everything. I, I mean, my college experience could, I don't think could have gone better for, you know, how it started. My parents always joke, and this would be the last thing. Um, my mom dropped me off at college. Um, she dropped me off at, uh, I was living in the East Quad at the time, and those tennis courts right there at Blatt, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So yep. my mom parked her car there because it was meter spots, and, uh, you know, she was obviously crying, and, you know, her, one of her boys is going off to college, and, you know, she kind of, we, you know, we hugged, and I'm walking back to the dorm, and she's driving off, and we both kind of ironically had the same thought of, like, what just happened? Like, what is about to happen? Like, we have no idea. Like, he's in a way, you know, trying out for the football team. You know, he doesn't know anybody. He knows one person, actually, um, but not really well at all. And, you know, he he's going to try to play quarterback in the SEC. Um, and then now to look back and go, wow, I made – amazing friends, amazing memories. I started 12 games, you know, had great, you know, uh, my dad played receiver in college and, and I caught a touchdown against Florida and he never caught a touchdown in college. And so I remember after that game joking with him about it, like, 
man, that's kind of embarrassing that I play quarterback and have more touchdown catches than you do, you know? <laughs> um, but little stuff like that. Um, well, <clears throat> again, dude, thank you for getting on. Um, we really appreciate it. And um, y'all go follow uh, Perry at Perry Orth on Instagram and at QB1 Athletics where he trains quarterbacks. He works with quarterbacks. Um, go check that out. Uh, if you're an inspiring quarterback, you know somebody. He's, he's one of the best in the business, at least at training them and getting them ready. So appreciate you having on. Appreciate you jumping on with this man. And, um, yeah, that was awesome. So, yeah, I mean, that was kind of surreal. Um, you know, I'm a diehard Gamecock. Being able to talk to a guy who was a starting quarterback at our university, um, not in the university out of 10, just being able to talk to a quarterback who played – for my favorite team growing up as a little kid, you know, that's always been my, my number one was, was the South Carolina football. So being able to talk to a guy who's been through the program and was a starting quarterback, man, that was super cool. Um, so super glad we were able to get Perry on. Um, and, yeah, so I guess we'll segue into our last half of the podcast. So for the rest of the episode, since we have a little bit of time left, uh, I want to talk – more of some of the big things that have just happened in the NFL world. We know March Madness. That's crazy. We're going to talk about that eventually. Um, we, we have a bunch of signings. The NFL offseason has been absolutely insane. But let's go over the big ones. And, Mikey, let me just ask you, in your opinion, what is the importance of, Deshaun, of this Deshaun Watson trade and if I'm going to Cleveland? What, what do you think the ceiling is for the Browns now? What does this create for them? Well, it just all depends on if uh, – it depends on these lawsuits still going through. I mean, he's got 22, and I don't like to bring that up, but it's something we have to bring up. Um, he might not even play this year. So we might we – we're talking about Deshaun right now, but we don't even know if he will play this year. I mean, we saw Calvin Ridley get suspended for gambling on the games that he wasn't even playing in. I can't imagine the suspension he's going to get for 22 active women um, filing against civil lawsuits against Deshaun. So – I don't know. Now, let's, if we're going to throw away the suspension, we'll talk about maybe if he doesn't get suspended. I mean, it's Deshaun Watson. The ceiling is, is, is the Super Bowl because that's how high value I uh, hold Deshaun to. But I will say it is the Browns organization. I don't trust them. Um, we'll see. I, I, I could see this going so terrible for the Browns. And Deshaun doesn't like playing in Cleveland. I think the only reason he went to Cleveland is because he knows that he's probably going to be suspended and he got that $230 million guaranteed, and that's what swayed him to go to Cleveland. Not the players, not the organization. I think it was the money that swayed Deshaun to go there. So I don't – I think – I mean, obviously they got, they got the players around them to go to the Super Bowl, but I don't trust the organization. I don't know what's going to happen with the suspension. So, I mean, this could turn ugly. Yeah, I, I think that regardless – don't get me wrong, I think Deshaun Watson's an amazing player. I don't think this really changes much, though. I don't think the Browns top to bottom. I think they have a, having him is obviously that's what you need is a, is a, a top pro, all pro quarterback, and they have that now. But I don't. You look at this team top to bottom, and they're in the AFC. I don't see this team really making it much farther than a than a first round exit in the playoffs. I don't see if that. I, I just think that the the conference is so strong, and I don't think the team around Deshaun is necessarily strong enough to to put me in to put the Browns in the same conversation as we put the Chiefs. Um, and, and uh, the Bills and, and, and the respects of those kind of teams. I mean, would you agree with that at least? Yeah, I mean, there, there's an argument to put them up there because, I mean, you could say, I mean, they got Nick Chubb, Kurt Hunt, now they just they acquired Amari Cooper, they got Sean Watson, they have a good offensive line. 
I mean, they got the weapons to do it. They got the weapons to go up against the Josh Allen's of the world, the Patrick Mahomes of the world. But when I look at Josh Allen and I look at their head coach and I look at Patrick Mahomes, look at Andy Reid, um, it's the Browns. And, and there's no way around it. It's the Browns. Just like how Stephen A. says, it's the Cowboys. And what happens to the Cowboys all the time? They lose first-round exit. It's the Browns. Um, and now they, they totally screwed themselves on their cap space. I mean, they're, they're signing this guy for – $40 million a year, basically, and now they give up three first-rounders. What if this doesn't work out? Yeah. Now now what do you do after that? So I, I don't think it was a smart decision at all. I think they knew I, – I think they thought they had to get a big-time QB in there because now Baker wants out. So they, they went for it, and I don't, I don't know if it's going to pay off for them. Yeah, we'll see. And, you know, we talked to Sean – and we'll get more in-depth into Sean later. This episode, we can't – but – the next, we talk about quarterbacks and how big, how important quarterbacks are. So you have obviously the Russell Wilson to, to Denver. And we talked about how that division is so strong. Now the Raiders have added Devontae Adams. Even though he's a receiver, how much better does that make that division? Even though he's a receiver and he's probably with the worst quarterback in the division, which don't get me wrong, I think Derek Carr is amazing. What do you think, Devontae Adams, how strong is that division now, especially adding Devontae Adams? Oh, it's it's the best best division in I think NFL history. I mean, looking at it, you got Derek Carr, you got Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, but Devontae Adams adding him. I mean, Derek Carr played with Devontae Adams for four years of college, and now it gets him back. And you know he's got Hunter Renfro, Devontae Adams, Brian Edwards, Darren Waller. I mean that offense, and you got Josh Jacobs. I mean that offense is just significantly upgraded. And you want to talk about how Derek Carr might not be the best quarterback in the league or in that division. He's got probably the best weapons in that division now as a wide receiving core as whole. So now that upgrades his play. And then they just got Chandler Jones. I know we're speaking about Devontae Adams, but they just got Chandler Jones with a better pass rush. Now they got Chandler Jones and Max Crosby. I think people are really sleeping on the Raiders. I would not want to play the Raiders at all. I mean, I don't want to play any of those teams in those divisions. But the Raiders, I do not want to play them at all. I know Derek Carr isn't the flashiest guy, but he's got Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller. Brian Edwards and Josh Jacobs. You can't you, – you got to be scared of that a little bit. In that division – I was thinking about this as you were saying. In that division, they have arguably the best quarterback in football in Patrick Mahomes. They have the best receiver in football in Devontae Adams. They have – yeah, the best tight end in football, Travis Kelsey. Yep. And they have one of the other best tight ends in football, Darren Waller. And they have one of the best running backs in football in Austin Eckler. That division, top to bottom, yep. is un. Believable, and I didn't even think about the fact that they now have the best. They still had the best tight end in the division. I mean, in the in the, in the NFL, now they had the best receiver. Goodness gracious! I mean, overall, their pass rushers are ridiculous too. Think about their pass rushers. You got Joey Bosa and Quinn Mack on the Chargers. You got Frank Clark, and I'm, I'm missing one other piece of the Chiefs. So oh, we'll come back to that. Uh, for the Broncos, you got Bradley Chubb and Randy Gregory, and then you got Max Crosby and Chandler Jones. You need it. You need a great offensive line to block all those guys. Everyone has a one-two punch in that division. That's insane. Yeah, that actually is incredible. And that's going to be a fun one to watch. And like I said, we'll get more in depth. We're going to have an NFL episode here coming soon where we kind of go through each division and each signing and really break this down. But that division is going to be the most fun, in my opinion, at least to watch from a fan's perspective. I would not want to be a fan of any one of those teams, though, to be honest. Yeah. Um, all right, one signing I saw today that I thought – made so much sense and I'm very excited to see how where this goes if they can put the pieces around him Marcus Mariota signs with the, with the Falcons the Falcons finally get a fresh start with a new quarterback 
And it's kind of like, you know, the Falcons, if they kept Matt Ryan, it was like, well, their ceiling wasn't too high. And now they're just gambling. It's like, you know, Mariota pays, Mariota pays off. We get to keep him. We get to re-sign him for a couple of years, whatever it may be. He doesn't pay off. We wait for a better draft class. So I, I love this. I think the Mariota to Atlanta is beautiful. I don't know about you think, and I, but I know you've said some things, positive things about Mariota before. I said that I think I'm very, I, he's like my sleeper for the year. You said Trubisky. What are your thoughts on Mariota to Atlanta? Because I think it makes so much sense if they get pieces around him because realistically they don't have very much around him for him to succeed. Yeah, it makes sense from Atlanta's perspective. I mean, I'm looking at Matt Ryan's contract. They obviously don't want to pay Matt Ryan. They, they lost Calvin Ridley. The really only offensive weapon they have is Kyle Pitts. That is it. So you're looking at Matt Ryan, who's, get, who's getting older in age. He's not going to be there for much longer. Look at his contract. They give him up, and I think, I think they gave him up. I don't think they were going to get anything more than the third rounder. So for Atlanta, this makes perfect sense, and I love Marcus Mariota. But I feel bad for Mariota because he has no weapons around him. He has absolutely no weapons around him. I think Mariota can be good. I don't think he's going to get the best opportunity in Atlanta. I mean, he's got his old head coach, Arthur Smith, there, um, where they, they were in Tennessee together for a while. Um, I hope they get pieces around Marcus Mario. I think this is smart for Atlanta because you're not taking a huge risk. You knew you had to move on from Matt Ryan. You know you don't have any offensive weapons. Overall, it makes sense for Atlanta to do this. They're in the rebuilding stage. they got a draft. They have multiple holes in their offense and defense side of the ball. So you bring in Mariota. Hopefully he wins you a couple games. You get some draft picks. You probably move off of him in one or two years. But for Mariota, I hope he shows everyone that he can play. And hopefully they do get offensive weapons for him to prove that Hey, he can still be a starting quarterback in this league. Yeah, well, what I really hope for Mariota is that the Falcons and the, the rest of the NFL does not look at this season, and maybe it's not a very, like, it's a special season where he goes off and has crazy numbers. I hope they don't just disregard him because of what this season – because if you look at that Atlanta offense, they really don't have anything. I mean, Calvin they have no one. Russell Gage gone. I mean, Mike Davis did, did not produce what we thought he was. Now they do have Cordell Patterson. We did forget to mention him. But No, Cordell Patterson, I don't – Correct me if I'm wrong. He's a free agent. He has not signed anywhere yet. Correct me if I'm wrong. He might have re-signed with the Falcons, but I don't, I don't know if he's signed anywhere yet. I am unaware, to be honest with you. I'm not usually the best with contracts, to be honest. Um, okay, well, if they don't have him either, it, <laughs> you're, you're starting running back as Mike Davis is what it's looking like, and you're, I don't even know who your wide receiver one is. I mean, Kyle Pitts you already mentioned, but I don't know who your wide receiver one is. Um, so I just hope the NFL and everybody else gives Mariota a fair shot. Um, before we close this out, Mikey, do you have any one more signing that you, like, that you think was big that's happened since our last episode that you want to bring up here in the last couple of days? Uh, yeah, you're missing a big one. Matt Ryan to the Colts, man. Yeah, I don't I – don't, I mean, I, we got to talk about Matt Ryan to the Colts. I wasn't too high on this one. I don't really – I don't know. I don't know how that, I think this is going to turn out. I think Matt Ryan's a little past his prime. You don't, you don't like this one? I don't think you're – I don't think you, – you don't upgrade Matt Ryan from Carson Wentz. I'd much rather have Carson Wentz than Matt Ryan, if I'm being honest with you. Ooh. Whoa, 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 whoa. Matt Ryan took his team to a Super Bowl and uh, was an MVP a couple years ago. Let's, let's not forget about that. Oh, let's that? not forget about Matt Ryan has not played – Matt Ryan has not played with Julio, uh, a good Julio Jones in God knows how long, and he hasn't had a – Besides Calvin Ridley, but Calvin Ridley has been hurt and now he's been suspended. Matt Ryan has not been playing with anyone. He hasn't been playing with the top 10 running back, not a top 10 receiver, not a good defense. His head coach got fired. I mean, Matt Ryan, he's not I – mean, he's like your Derek Carr. I would say he's, he's very similar to Derek Carr, uh, Ryan Tannehill. And those guys can take it to the playoffs. They can, they're not going to be 
you know, your Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes guys, but they're good enough to take you to the playoffs and win. And Indianapolis has a roster to win right now with Jonathan Taylor, Michael Pittman, Darius uh, Leonard on the other side of the ball at linebacker. They, they, they can win right now. And so getting Matt Ryan for a third-round pick, it's not like they traded up the whole house. It's not like they gave a first-rounder. They, they traded a third-round pick for Matt Ryan, and they had the cap space to pay him. So I love this. I love this for them. They're not going to get anyone better. Um, I'd rather Matt Ryan over Jimmy Garoppolo. Matt Ryan stays healthy. Um, so all sense, this makes sense for, for the uh, Indianapolis Colts. I think it makes sense if you really don't have any other option. I don't think you look on paper and like, you know what, we're, we want Matt Ryan. I think it makes sense if you can get him for, for cheap and, you're, and you're, I guess you just get on Carson Wentz. I just truly don't think you upgraded, if at all. I don't think you – I think you degraded, but I don't think you upgraded at all from, from – From Carson Wentz? I don't think I so. I mean, Carson Wentz didn't have a bad year, and I, and I like Carson Wentz. Don't get me wrong. I like Carson Wentz. Don't get me wrong, but Carson Wentz gets hurt. I'm, I'd rather take Matt Ryan. Well, I know – I mean, he's been an MVP. He's been to a Super Bowl. I know he can still play. Yeah, his contract is a little more, but we saw what happened with Carson once that last game. I mean, the bridge is burned after that last game. I feel like they couldn't keep him around because everyone was too mad about that game and how he performed. He had to get rid of him because that chemistry in the locker room was not going to work out. And you got, you got a guy who can win your football games. I mean, you got – Matt Ryan can win your football games. So, I mean, I, I, think, it's, I think it's a good – good situation here and if it doesn't work out then you only lost a third round pick you get rid of him you go draft him to the quarterback yeah well i guess we're gonna wait and see and like i said we have a new we have a new nfl episode out soon because there's been so much to cover but we just we're jam-packed march madness nba's starting to hit playoffs coming up soon and, and all these free agent signings we want to take time to get a full episode to really break down what, what we've seen in the nfl because we don't feel like we've done justice in that but we do got to talk about march madness and the nba as well so we got a lot to cover coming up a lot of episodes pumping out um, we want to thank y'all for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed the interview with Perry Orth. Um, if you are wanting to listen to any previous episodes, you can catch us on Apple Podcasts, um, Spotify, and all your major streaming platforms. Uh, follow us on social media. We got a, we got a Twitter. We got an Instagram. We got a, a Facebook. And we got a TikTok. And they're all at that damn sports podcast, D-A-M. So please give us a like. Give us a share. Um, tell your friends. Tell your family. Um, and Mikey, appreciate you for getting on. Um, Perry Orth, we appreciate you again. And we will see you guys, maybe not even next week, maybe in a few days. We'll let you know. Thanks again for listening to that damn sports podcast. See you next time.